We Saw a Thing is a movie podcast about remakes and sequels. We, we saw a thing and talked about it. This week, the guys talk about Shaft and Shaft and also Shaft. The following conversation has been edited for brevity. We should, we never should have watched Shaft back to back this way. No. <laughs> it's wrong. It's too much time has passed. 1971 Shaft to 2000 Shaft to 2019 Shaft. They are all different beasts. Yeah, they really are. And especially that 2019 one. Boy, did they ever want to make that just like a a happy comedy and it didn't work for me. Well, it's not Shaft. No, it's not. It's not a Shaft movie. No, it felt super wrong. It's, It's a 21 Jump Street movie. Yeah, and a bad one at that. Like, they worked so hard to make it a comedy, and it wasn't funny. Well, yeah. But I also had a hard time buying Samuel L. Jackson as Shaft. I didn't enjoy him as the character. And then I was reading that Don Cheadle was their original pick. Oh, yeah. And and that would have been amazing. I would have been so in for that. Totally. But the studio wanted somebody with, like, a more bankable star. So there you get Samuel L. Jackson, who I just... I don't know. I never, ever at any moment bought him as that character. But can we at least agree the 2000 Shaft, for me, is the best out of the three? Um, yeah, I guess. Yeah, that's like a sliding scale for me because I didn't really enjoy all any of them. Oh, wow. Okay, let's start <laughs> with that. Uh, I found the original. I was shocked how little it dealt with race. Uh, but I wanted to talk to you about that. Yeah, go ahead. I was struggling with the original one because it doesn't. It wasn't capturing my attention at all. Like I was, I was struggling to just like be invested in anything that was happening. And so I was like reading about the production of the movie while I was watching it. And one of the things that kept coming up was that it's it wasn't the first black exploitation film, but it's definitely one of those movies that gets pointed to. It, it was the most mainstream of the black exploitation films. Yeah, because it partially saved MGM from like <laughs> closing down, which is kind of an amazing fact as well. And I did a bunch of reading about black exploitation films as well, but I still don't really fully understand what what qualifies and found that I went down that rabbit hole instead of just like fully paying attention to the movie because it just never got me. (laughs) So I wanted to ask you about that. I guess one of the things is, you know, why is Shaft exploitation, but we don't call James Bond exploitation? Does it have more to do with like stereotypes then? I think so. I think they're leaning heavily into stereotypes because at the end of the day, it's just a quick, cheap film that will get butts in the seats that exploits specifically a black audience to come to the theaters because this was one of the very first black action stars and Richard Roundtree I have to say he is a blast to watch it for me in that first shaft I had a lot of fun watching him yeah I thought he was great the setting of that grimy New York the great funk sounds were great it was awesome. The soundtrack was amazing. Although you say that that great, like gritty look to the film, that was another problem I had with the 2019 version. It was very bright. It was very clear. It didn't at all feel like it was shot on analog film. It felt very like 4K digital. It, it had a very like 
overly bright and colorful look to it, and it didn't match up with the the two other movies as far as that kind of grittier tone went, even just in the visuals, let alone like the character development and, and the silliness of it. I mean, in 1971, New York was just a different place. It was that grimy. It was, it was representing a place that people thought of when they think New York. By 2000, New York is a lot more cleaned up. And then by 2019, it basically looks like a suburb at points. Right. <laughs> they also seem to spend a lot more time in Harlem in the original movie than they did in either of the sequels. Well, yeah, absolutely. The, uh, the, the 2000 version, they talk a lot about Harlem, but I don't know if they're in Harlem. I don't know. I, I, there's no representation that that is Harlem. Weirdly, like all three movies were so tonally different. Very, very different. The second one was was much more violent than the original. Like the bad guy who's walking down the street, stabbing himself in the chest, saying, you better kill me. Like that was a bit much. <laughs> and not to mention how the original, that could have been PG. And then the sequel, or I should say the reboot with the next generation shaft, is full R, the most R. Yeah, well, I mean, it it launches in with like a James Bond-esque montage that's just a sex scene. That's like the opening credits. <laughs> well, and that was how it was toted, right? It was toted as he gets all the girls, he saves the day, he's an action hero. Every movie is a different story. And that's why I'm like, is it only exploitation because they were exploiting a certain audience? Because... James Bond does the same thing. Girls, guns, and gadgets. Right. Hold on. Let me pull up the definition I found. They're talking about, you know, overcoming the man, being in an oppressed community, and and sort of fighting back, that kind of thing. So, like, he's he definitely has a bit of that anti-hero quality to him, right? Where he's, he's sort of at odds with the cops, but they kind of love him, and he kind of loves them, too. And the guys who are higher up the ladder, they kind of, like, see him as this guy who's just going to, like, run in and blow a bunch of shit up and, <laughs> and kind of cause more problems that he solves. And, and so, like, the man's kind of got his thumb on him. But uh, but the guys who are more on his level kind of see the value of him and that kind of thing. So it's like this like invisible force around him is just kind of like pressing down on him all the time. So I kind of get it from that perspective. He just seemed to be like doing a lot of stuff, but there didn't seem to be like a ton of forethought or purpose to it. Like everyone seemed to be giving him a lot of credit for like these great big plans that he was coming up with. Like he's very like, we got to do this my way. It's got to be my way. So he's like supposed to be the big smart plan he got. And then nothing really seemed to come of that. The plan was nothing. The plan was nothing, yeah. The plan was like, get a waiter and we'll go and storm. Well, the plan seemed to be that he's bulletproof, so he just walks in and starts shooting people. Well, that is definitely the plan, yes. In all of these films, they're all bulletproof. In, until like those two moments when he does get shot uh, in the 2019 version, saving his kid. But that again is very James Bond. yeah. I mean, they even make a mention of, oh, he wants to be black James Bond. And then Samuel's like, oh, well, James Bond wants to be me, uh, which I thought was a funny line. It does seem very James Bondy. Like if James Bond was like not rich or working for a government or had any tech. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> a low tech James Bond who appeals to the common man. So I remember when Luke Cage came out the first season and you and I talked about that because we both watched the first season and if memory serves, 
deserves. You enjoyed it. And it never connected with me. And I felt the same way with Shaft. Like, I could appreciate what the original movie was doing, and I could appreciate the music and some of the cinematography and um, some of the chaotic action sequences and that kind of thing. But it just, it never connected with me in any kind of, like, root way where I was, like, excited to follow this character through multiple stories. I didn't have any problem with with Richard Roundtree, and I didn't have a problem with the setting. I didn't have a problem with the score. And I didn't inherently have a problem with the story, but I don't think it was executed well. The pacing was off. Even ideas that felt compelling, like Harlem versus the Mafia, it just, the execution of it was really low budget. It ends up being a couple of guys in a room having a fist fight. Like, it, it just didn't seem like it was very well delivered even though you you did have all the all the pieces that could have been very compelling you just may not have had the money to make it more compelling. I also found the original movie super misogynistic. Like, there's not a single female character in that movie that is interested in anything other than sleeping with Shaft. 100%, but that's Shaft. Like, that is, you, like, I knew that going in. Okay, and I didn't, so that surprised me. And then when we saw the 2000 version, it didn't surprise me at all, again. I mean, at least we had somebody who was trying to save, and we had uh, Vanessa Williams, who was on the force, who was also, like, the good guy had a little bit of motivation, but that shaft, you know, he's a crime fighter. He does it his own way and he gets the girls. <laughs> yeah. I also really loved how in the original movie, that opening sequence of him just like walking across the streets of New York, like not waiting for traffic to stop. He's just assuming traffic's going to stop for him. And I thought that was such a brilliant way of introducing us to who this character is without words, without him interacting with any other characters. You knew exactly who Shaft was in just those few moments. And that becomes a player for all the other films. Well, it's, it's a huge player at the end of the 2019 version where, you know, his kid is like cowering away from cars crossing the street all the time in New York until that very last scene. But I also thought that was a really weird message because it seemed to me like the message of that movie was you're not a real man until you've killed people. And now he can like walk through the streets of New York City with his head held high. And I thought that was a really strange message. That's the problem with Shaft 2019 is that it wants to appeal to every single person who watches it. Yeah. So it needs to appeal to my dad who thinks a certain way about manhood, but then appeals to me because I think manhood's a different thing. And then at the end, they're all going to collide in this big action shootout craziness with an awkward kiss in a, in a thing. <laughs> and then he's going to walk out like he's badass. And I'm like, you are not a Shaft movie at all at this point. But for me, out of these three movies, John Singleton, he's the only director. As soon as I saw directed by John Singleton, I'm like, this is going to deal with some race. He can't make a movie that doesn't have to do with race. And I respect the hell out of John Singleton for trying to elevate a Shaft film with this rich white killer i thought it was brazen and brave and awesome like I, I, that storyline that through line entirely had me captivated and christian bale is the best kind of dirtbag oh yeah he's great as a dirtbag i love him as a villain and then you have jeffrey wright who i only have seen 
as like the caring, taking people under his wing and soft-spoken guy to be this crazy Spanish mafia boss, Latino boss, who you're right, is running out in the street, stabbing himself. He just owned every scene he's in. Oh, he was fantastic. He may have been the best part of that movie. I agree. Samuel Jackson is not the best part of Shaft 2000. No. There's a lot of stuff happening around him that I think elevates that film. Yeah, I agree with you. I thought it was really interesting to read that um, Singleton wanted to do a sequel, but the movie didn't do super well at the box office, and Samuel L. Jackson apparently was like really not super pleased with how it turned out, which is why I'm like extra surprised that he did the 2019 version, because it's such a dog shit film, even by comparison. But he signed on to do that one, but he wouldn't do a second one with John Singleton. That seems super weird to me. It's bonkers. And now John Singleton has passed away. I mean, he'll never get that opportunity. He goes with this other director who, Tim Story. Who did the two original uh, Fantastic Four movies. Yeah, I, I don't get it. Here's my thing with Shaft 2019. Do that movie, not as a Shaft film, and you might like get, okay, that's okay. Putting it into the Shaft ecosphere is weird. Yeah, it really waters down the content. Really waters it down. The Singleton movie has something to say. I feel like hidden in the 70s version, there's something to say there as well. But I I do think that it was a poorly kind of edited together film, maybe. You know, it was a little bit hard to follow at some points. The other thing with the 71 version that you got to remember is this was a, a launching for Hollywood to put black people in a leading role. It was kind of that turnaround, like, look, it made a bunch of money. You can do more of these and it'll make money. Go and make money. And of course they did. There was two other Richard Roundtree Shaft films and a television series. No, this clearly like spawned a franchise and, you know, speaks to to people. Like Luke Cage, it didn't speak to me. And so I I had trouble kind of like getting super invested. Um and, and that that's probably more a testament to me than the film. <laughs> you know what? It it might be, Chris, because like I couldn't be any happier with I'm not giving it a like a perfect score or anything. Right. But the 2000s shaft is an interesting thing to watch in 2020. It is, yeah. There's a great line where he says, you know, too black for the badge, too blue for the brothers. That is so interesting in this climate to see this guy watching the system fail black people over and over and over to the point where he chucks his badge at a judge because that judge was an asshole and... I don't understand how anybody would get bail after they skipped the country. Like, it was bonkers. But it doesn't matter. What matters is all the bad guys die. Shaft gets to go kick the crap out of some guy who beat up a woman at the end of the film. It's a sad ending because the mother is the, uh, becomes a killer at the end of the film, the mother of a victim. But she, was, she felt justified because she finally took law into her own hands and she knew the courts weren't going to do it. That was like this really sad moment because it makes you realize that there's like a glorification of that kind of violence because the system doesn't work for segments of the population. And I found that incredibly sad. Like there was a really rich thesis inside of that movie that I don't think the rest of the movie poked at enough. I I think that that's the thesis of the film. 
And they kind of danced around it a little bit, but it really was more about, you know, the womanizing and his great action sequences than it was about that specific message. And who knows if that's a singleton thing or if it's a script writing thing or if it's a interference from the studio thing. Who knows? Right. But there there's definitely a richer story inside of there that's hiding a bit. I completely agree with what you're saying. And there are flashes of it when he's beating up the gangbanger on the street so that he never messes around with the the woman's kid again. And the cop rolls by and he just gives him a nod, a knowing nod of like, okay, that's Shaft, no worries. I'll just keep driving. It had a lot to say, I found about that, and a lot to say about what white people think they can get away with. But obviously, they also had to tie it back to a shaft, it is a shaft movie. So let's implement the girls, let's implement the guns, because that's what a shaft movie is about. I just was really happy that they got some of this important message into a pretty fun popcorn film. Yeah, I didn't find it as fun, I think, as it sounds like you did, just because of like the excess of the violence in some of it. I found took away from some of the fun because it could have been a more fun movie, quote-unquote, than the 2019 version, which is very clearly supposed to be a comedy. The 2019 version is all comedy, and there's a little bit of dramatic stuff and importance in the 2000 version. I I just had fun as far as watching a story that didn't bloat itself with twists and turns and crap. It wasn't, uh, you know, Thomas Crown Affair level of layers of bullshit. Oh, God, no. <laughs> it was much more straightforward than that. All all three of them were really, like, these are three pretty straightforward movies about, you know, the, as far as the narrative and stuff goes. But I, I feel like films like this can bloat themselves with twists. Yes. And too much ex, uh, exposition. Actually, now that you say the glorification of violence, how turned on Alexandra Ship is while, you know, Junior is shooting up that restaurant. Oh, yeah. Yeah. And the tonal shift to go to that old crooner track. Okay, this is kind of weird. And and then they'd have throwaway jokes that I guess were poking fun at gun owners. Like, it's my First Amendment. That's not the First Amendment. You know, like, and then she he pulls it out and he goes crazy town and. She gets all turned on. What are they saying? Are they saying, like, if you are violent and and kill people, you get the girl? That's why Shaft gets the girl? I Dude, yes. Like, I really think that was the message of the 2019 version. Shaft also apologizes for the first time. And that turns on his girl. Yeah, but that seems to be the thesis of the 2019 version is whatever it is that turns on the girl you want. Well, okay, that's, that is fair. <laughs> so if that means kill a bunch of dudes, then you should do that. If that means apologize, because the very next sentence is so, you know, oh, so like we're going to have sex now, right? And she shuts it down, right? Like that's, he just, he is only interested in women for sex. And why was there not more race in that FBI room? Like, why was the guy who was shooting him down, the, his boss, the FBI director, there should have been some other reason or or something clear besides like, well, you're a rookie, I'm not going to do it. There should have been a clear like Black Lives Matter thing in that film so that we understood really wanting to hate that FBI director. We don't. 
we don't end up like hating him so much. And at the end, when he tells him to shove it, it doesn't land. Totally agreed. Because there, a there's not enough uh, interaction between those two characters for it to matter. But also, it just seems like his boss is just a jerk for the sake of being a jerk, right? Like he just needs somebody to like fight against so that you know he can quit at the end. That whole thing was such a throwaway. And so unnecessary. It, it was. It's not even like we were seeing him uh, dealing with, like, racial microaggressions in the workplace or, you know, we were seeing that this boss was just, like, out to get him for some reason or, like, there was just none of that. It was just, well, he's a dick and you're a rookie, so know your place. And that was it. And make a character, a caricature out of Shaft with all these awful gifts he's sending Look, the 2000 Shaft, it seemed like he cared about people. You would think that he would care about his son. He had real drive and ambition to do the right thing. So why is he sending his son condoms and stupid crap the whole time? And and, and nudie magazines. That was the most idiotic thing I ever saw. Because I'm like, leading up to this, that's not Shaft. You're just going way overboard. So that when they finally get together, it almost is as if Shaft could care less that his son is there. There's no reason for anyone to like their relationship. Yeah, I totally agree with you. It's a terribly imperfect film and an awful Shaft film. It would be an imperfect, not a great movie, even without the Shaft title, which I don't know why there's three movies called Shaft. That's super confusing in its own right. Well, I will tell you why. It's so that I can rank them in order. So I like Shaft and then I like Shaft. And lastly, I like Shaft. (laughs) I never need to tell you which one. Shaft is my favorite. That's funny because Shaft is my favorite. Oh, my God. I knew we would have that in common. It's weird because I didn't think we were on the same page. But then we were on the same page. The, the, The third one. Okay, look, it's I understand the 2000 version being Shaft. There hasn't been one for a while. And it is basically a reboot. But the. Twenty nineteen version needs a different name. Dude, they had to retcon that the original shaft wasn't his uncle but his father just to make the father-son generational thing work in the third movie. If you've got to go to that level to to get your story to work, it just doesn't work. Like do something different. And at the very beginning of the twenty nineteen version, I'm like going, is this actually chronological or is this like brand new? And they show the 2000 version, him chucking his badge into the board. And I'm like, oh, okay. So this, all that stuff that was going on with that guy for that long, he had a kid? What? Yeah, it was it was weird. Also, the CGI to make uh, Samuel Jackson look younger at the beginning of the movie was awful. Did not work. No, and given that that a year earlier we had seen him younged up in Captain Marvel, and that looked amazing. Like, yes, <laughs> it was so bad. <laughs> so ultimately, I don't know if anybody needs to watch Shaft at all. If you're going to, I still think the 2000 version, at least it has the most to say. It may not be the most historical out of all the Shaft movies, but it definitely has the most to say about race, about police, and about white people murdering black people. It definitely has all of those things. I would say if somebody was, in my opinion, if somebody was to go out and watch one of these for the first time, I would go back to the original. Even though I struggled to get into it, I thought that the music was better. I thought that it was a grittier look at uh, the city of Manhattan. Uh, Richard Roundtree was a better shaft. 
And I thought that as far as like the stereotypical like shaft things that you would expect to see in a movie, I think the 71 version nails those things better than either of the Samuel L. Jackson versions. And you get a really cool action moment where it's so cool. They ended up putting on the cover of the poster where he like swings down on a, I don't know, climbing rope or something through a window. And it's kind of neat, but the rest of the action is kind of whatever. It's got kind of a whatever story, kind of whatever action beats, but I don't know. That Isaac Hayes soundtrack is phenomenal. So oh, yeah. <laughs> watch it just for that. Next time on We Saw a Thing. Jumping back into the horror slash thriller genre for next week's episode, we're going to tackle Invasion of the Body Snatchers. We hope you join us next Thursday. We Saw a Thing is hosted by Jay Kennedy and Chris Shapcott. Produced by Shapcott's Media. Subscribe wherever you get your podcasts. And check our show notes for links to our social media and credits. And leave a review on Apple Podcasts.